Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are going to hop into the book of Acts, and we've been in this series now for a long time, and we're going to stay in it. Uh, today is actually part 11 in our, our study through the book of Acts. So I, I hope you've been enjoying this series. Um, three of you. That's Praise God. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you. Thank you for that. So yeah, yeah, I, I know you have because you're coming back. Obviously, you're here. That, that means you're, you're enjoying something. So with that said, go, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And we're going to get into chapter 7, and we're going to spend most of our time there. Uh, but you guys know I, I am a Bible teacher. I can't help myself when I open the Bible. I have to just teach you guys. And I'm going I'm to do a lot of teaching today. And then at the end, just to kind of set your expectations, at the end, um, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that the Lord is going to minister to us. And speaking of freedom, at the end of this message, my prayer is that each and every one of us get freed from something in particular. And uh, I, I hate to give it away too soon, but here's the title of my message, okay? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The Peril of Pride. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I know that some weeks you come, and I'm, I'm preaching through this book, and you're like, okay, that was good, but it doesn't directly apply to me because maybe the season that you're in, um, it's just not directly applicable. And by the way, uh, my aim every Sunday is to come up here and just simply to do one thing, okay? It's to preach what's next in the text, okay? Does that help y'all? So when you come here, if you ever come to Midtown, my aim is just to preach what's next in the text. So I'm not going to be reactionary. I'm not going to form messages uh, based on something that happened. Now, I may do that from time to time. But, but, but in this series, uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to the Word of God, and, and I'm letting the Word of God set the agenda for us. How many of y'all know it's always better when He does that? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to preach what's next in the text. And so as I was in the text this, this week, uh, the, the big topic that, that stood out as, we, as I worked through it, as we worked through it today, it's going to be the, the topic, very simply, of pride. And once again, the title is this, The Peril of Pride. And here, here is my big thought as we get into this today. My thought is this, you can be, you can be full of God, or you can be full of yourself, but you can't be full of both at the same time. You can't be full of both at the same time. And as you have your Bibles open, I want you to go to Acts chapter 6. And we're going to look today at a man who, who was full of it. Y'all know some people who are full of it? Don't point to anybody. But y'all know some people, yeah, we all know people who are full of certain things. Today we're going to look at a man who was full, who was full of five Things. If you're taking notes, go ahead. Let's get to work. I want you to write these five things down. Today we're going to look at the life of Stephen, the ministry of Stephen. And according to Luke, the physician, Stephen was full of it. He was full of five things. And these things include wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Faith. The Spirit. Grace. And power. Okay? Stephen was the total package. He was the guy that you just love to hate because he had it all going on in his life 
and in his ministry. Now, just to back us up a little bit, if you remember weeks ago, we talked about the need that arose, that some of the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Y'all remember that? And the apostles commissioned seven men to, to take care of those widows, to make sure the food and the money was distributed. And the apostles said, meanwhile, we're going to devote ourselves to what? To prayer and the ministry of the, of the Word of God. Now, one of the seven was this man, Stephen. And Stephen, as mentioned, was full of these things. Now, you would think that everybody would like this man would be drawn to this man, but listen carefully what Acts chapter 6, verses 9 through 15 says, and let's read it together. Luke says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and some of those from Cilician Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Verse 11, then, because they couldn't beat him, they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak Words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Look at this last verse for our purposes right now. Verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of a... You say it. Like the face of an angel. Now, let me teach you for just a few minutes. Here's what's going on in the text. Stephen was full of those five things. And Stephen was out performing signs, wonders, miracles. He was out teaching and preaching in addition to waiting on tables. I don't know how he had time. But, but he was teaching and preaching the gospel. Well, some Greek-speaking Jews didn't like that very much. And so they disputed with Stephen. They argued with Stephen. But if you, if you were listening closely, you heard the text says that though they disputed with him, they could not defeat him. Why? Well, because he was full of five things. In particular, he was full of wisdom. And because he was full of the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God, they couldn't beat this guy. Now again, this is the guy you just love to hate. He's full of five things, but in addition to those five things, we're told that Stephen was a great speaker, he was a great orator, he was a great debater. Okay? And so they debate with this guy, disputed with him, and they're like, man, we just can't beat this guy. And how many of y'all know when you're, when you're debating with a man of God or a woman of God who's full of the Spirit of God, you're not just debating them, you're debating God, and that's a debate you'll always lose. Are y'all with me? So they're frustrated, and so they go instigate and round up false witnesses because they can't take care of them. Well, maybe somebody else can. And so they go, they go instigate, they go stir up trouble. And these Jews come up, the, these leaders come up, and they, they, they accuse Stephen. They accuse him of, well, blaspheming against the law. Blaspheming Moses blaspheming God Himself, basically saying 
This Stephen is preaching a Jesus who, who stands against uh, our entire tradition. Now, y'all, I mean, we sit here and we hear this. We're like, okay, what's next? I mean, this is a big deal, okay? If you are alive at this time, you're Stephen, and you're being uh, accused of these things. These were false accusations, but very serious accusations nonetheless. So picture Stephen, council meeting, false accusations. Now, you can almost just picture their faces. I'm sure that this group who were accusing Stephen were not happy. I, I can just see their jaws clenched. I can just hear their tone. I'm sure the volume got raised. Are y'all with me? I mean, they were angry. But look, look at what it says here. The Bible says that the council, oh, this is so good, gazed at him and saw that his face was like the face of a what? Of an angel. In other words, his face was radiant. I'm sure there was a glow about Stephen. Why? Well, because he had been with God, because he was full of God. If you remember Moses, his face was radiant after he spent time in the presence of God. Jesus' face shone brightly on the Mount Transfiguration. And here, Stephen's face is shining brightly, presumably here in front of this hostile crowd. Are you getting the picture? Now, as he, as he, stands, as he stands there, they gaze at him, which isn't just like a... It's like a... Like, they're gazing, they're staring, probably trying to figure out why this man's not moved by the accusations. But here, Stephen, we're told, it's, it's, it's assumed here that he stands calm and collected with the face of a... with the face like the face of an angel. He, he stood there with, watch, a countenance of confidence with a posture of peace. Because listen, he had been with God. He was full of God, and it showed. Listen to me. I can look out today, and I can tell for the most part who has been with God. I can tell those, and I can tell the ones who haven't. Listen to me carefully. The Bible says this in Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Come on, some of y'all have been set free from the law of sin and death and you can connect with this because you used to be covered in sin and shame. But now that you're looking to Jesus, your face is radiant, though your life isn't going the way you wanted. Your face is radiant with the glory and the joy of God. And how many of y'all know when you read the Word and you believe the Word, how many of y'all know Jesus has given us every single reason to smile a big joy? Osteen, whether you like him or not, smile. Come on, somebody. We've got every reason to be radiant. Whether you're nine or whether you're 90, whether you're smooth or whether you're wrinkled, come on. I'm not talking about just this. I'm talking about the radiance of the glory of God. It should be on all of us. Christians should be the happiest people on the planet. But sometimes we walk around like our shoes are too tight, like we just sucked on a bunch of lemons. Come on, you got the Holy Ghost. You got the Word of God. You got a great church. You got all the promises that are yes and amen. We should be the most radiant bunch on the planet. Because if you're taking notes, write this down. Who you look to 
often determines what we look like. We become what we behold. Who are you looking to today? What are you looking at? What are you trusting in? Because, see, if, if we spend time looking to the world, how many of y'all know we're going to look like the world? Fearful, discouraged, anxious, you fill in the blanks. I preached weeks ago on aliens. Were y'all here for that message? Were y'all here? Do y'all know that aliens are in the Bible? For those of you who weren't here, the aliens are talked about in the Bible. Peter says we are strangers, aliens, we are foreigners. We stand out. We're not better than. We're just what? Different. different. Are y'all with me today? Different from. So, so Corey Tim Boone says it this way. If you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. If you look within, you're going to be depressed. But if you look to God, you will find rest. The question is, who are you looking to today? What are you looking at today? And I think most of you here have a Facebook account and you, you post your pictures, your face on Facebook. Listen to me, if I spend time with you long enough, I can tell if your face has been in the book, the Bible, long enough. Because how many of y'all know that book will change your life? It will change your countenance. It will change everything. Not just if you hear it, you've got to believe it. And it'll have a visible, it'll have a visible impact on your life. People will see it. And hopefully believe it. Now, I'm not talking about walking around all the time with permagrin. How many of y'all know Jesus wept? I'm positive that Jesus was not smiling while he drove those rascals out of the temple. How many of y'all know he turned that frown upside down when he was done? Jesus wept. I'm sure, I know he laughed. Jesus was full of joy. He was a man of sorrows. There is a time for everything. Are y'all with me? But there should be something visibly different about our lives. When people see us, they should ultimately see a reflection of him. Listen, how many of y'all know God has not called us to be religious nuts, but we are called to bear spiritual fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit that should be in our lives. Speaking of gazing, they gazed at Stephen. Wondering, like, this dude should have pulled out his shotgun by now. <laughs> this man should be, should be angry at us. But he stood there with a face like the face of an angel. Now we're going to see where he goes with this in a second. But speaking of gazing, uh, how many of y'all remember show and tell? How many of y'all remember show and tell? Elementary school, you find something from the house that um, is sanctified enough to bring to school and to show and tell everybody about. Y'all remember, raise your hand if you ever did show and tell? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, you get in front of the class, it's to help develop your communication abilities. And hey, this is, this is you know, this object, uh, this, I love it, here's what it is. You talk about it in front of your class. I didn't do too well with that. But show and tell, and, and, and that's something we practice as, as children, as kids. But how many of y'all know, as Christians, we are in the full-time show and tell business. If you didn't know that, let your pastor help you. You are in the full-time show and tell business. We are called to tell people about Jesus, but we're also called to what? Show people Jesus. Now, I know people say, oh, don't look to me. Don't look to me. Look to Jesus. And I understand. That's ultimately, yes, where we want to look. 
But if you look to Jesus, if I look to Jesus, I will over time begin to look like Jesus. Did you get that? If you're looking to Him, His radiance will, will be reflected from your life. If, you're, if you are beholding Him, you will become like Him. And though you're never going to be perfect like Him, you will become like a, like a, a child showing and telling Jesus to the world around you. Do you understand that that's our responsibility? Not just to tell, but to show. Check it out. One man said, I don't know who it was who said it first, so let me say it. Like I always say... There are five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. Most people read you before they ever read the Gospels, the Bible. Let me say it again. There are five Gospels, five accounts of Jesus that testify about who He is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and... And most people read before they ever read the... Oh boy, that can be a scary thing, huh? But that's a, gr that's a great responsibility. Listen, people are watching you and they're watching me. And the question is, what do they see? Well, listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15. Listen, listen, listen. This is, so, this is so good and convicting and equipping. He says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense not being defensive, but to make a defense, give a reason to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. But he goes on to say, yet to do it with gentleness and respect. Do you understand that Peter assumes that the hope that is within you is going to radiate from you? And that if you're really a true believer in Christ, that there's going to be something noticeably different about your life. So as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's still life on your face. There's life in your marriage. There's life in your soul. And it's not just within you. It radiates for others to see. He assumes that people are going to look at first century Christians and see the hope in them and that people are going to come up to those Christians and say, hey, I see the hope in you. What's up with that? Listen to me. When people see the light of God shining in you, they're going to ask, where does that come from? And can I help y'all? When they ask, hey, why is your marriage like this? Why do you have so much joy? How many of y'all know the answer, the good answer, the right answer is always Jesus? And if Jesus changed me, if Jesus did this for me, He can also do it for you if you repent of your sin and turn to Him. Get out of that darkness and get into the light. The light of the gospel will reflect from you. Other people will see it. And God willing, they'll be saved. Are y'all tracking? Okay, i got to get out of my introduction. So, here's something to ask yourself. Peter said to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. Question, is anyone asking about the hope that's within you? If no one is asking, the evidence may be lacking. As always, my name is Pastor Scott, and I'm definitely your friend. Is anybody asking? What's up? with you. Why do you do business this way? Everybody else does it that way. Why? You're so honest and it costs you money. You're not making money like you could. Why are you this way? You've got all these kids at home that could drive you stark raving mad, but you're full of joy. <laughs> Whatever. 
Okay, let me get out of my introduction. Stephen had the face of an angel, like an angel. And how many of y'all know angels were messengers? Angelos, that's what the word means, messenger. So it wasn't just something about the radiance, like a globe. I'm, I'm sure it was that, but it was more than that, nothing less than that. More than that, it was that I think Stephen had a face like someone who had something to say. <laughs> He'd already been disputing, already arguing. They, they, they opposed him, and, and then it, I, I think that they saw him as one, like an angel, like a messenger who had confidence and, and who had a sense of urgency. Like, like I get up here, I just can't wait to talk. Like you see my face. Like I don't come up here like hoping that I figure out what I'm going to I come up here with the message, and I'm sure of what I'm about to say. Okay? And if I'm not, I need to find another job. <laughs> Stephen was there, face like an angel, as a messenger, with something to say. And he had a captive audience. Now, now we're in chapter 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, are these things true? Are these accusations true? What do you say, Stephen? All this has been brought against you. What, what, do, you, what do you have to say? Well, Stephen, check this out. Stephen goes on. Look in your Bible. Go ahead and look if you have your Bible. To give a 52-verse sermon. And y'all think I preach long. Y'all remember the time Paul preached so long, the old boy fell out the window and died? You remember that? Act? It's in Acts. Check it out. We're going to get there eventually. Depending upon how long I preach, it'll determine how long before we get there. But this boy fell out, and it said that Paul went on and on. True story. The boy fell out the window and, and bro probably broke his neck. And then you think Paul would say, okay, service is over. We're done. No, no, no. Paul went down, raised that boy from the dead, and he kept on pre uh, preaching till daybreak. That's another, literally another message. I mean, what do you think that boy said? You know, Paul, your preaching is killing me, man. You know, like literally, you know. Anyway, so 52 verses. I mean, talking about a long, long, long sermon. So I'm not going to read it all. You're welcome. I want you to read it in your own time. But in 52 verses, Stephen gives this sweeping history of the Jewish people and God's dealing with them. Okay, here's the main point. There's more to it. Read your Bible in your own time. But here's the big point Stephen made in this sermon. His big point was this. God has always had a plan. How many of y'all know God never says, I didn't think about that? <laughs> He's always had a plan. And that plan is always in motion. The very fabric of time was ordained by God. He's always had a plan, particularly for his people, Israel. And here's Stephen's point. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Joseph. He talks about Jacob. He talks about Solomon. He makes all of these allusions to all the Old Testament, we call Old Testament history. And his big point was God's always had a plan. And he's always called his people, his covenant people, to get in alignment with that plan. But the very ones you think would get in alignment with the plan, some of those were the ones who actually stood in opposition to his plan. Now, you don't have to be too smart to put this together to think, okay, what's going on here with Stephen? He's being opposed. He's the messenger. They're opposing him. 
He doesn't make a self-defense here, but he goes back into the history of Israel and he, and he goes back and he says, God's always had a plan, but, 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 but the people, some within Israel, have opposed that plan just like they were opposing Stephen. All the people, you can look back. He gives all the examples. They opposed God's plan. God's pulling this way, and many of them were pulling the other direction. That's his main point. And then, like any good sermon, he tells the point, makes the point, but then, watch out, watch it, watch that, watch this. He makes application. How many of y'all know every sermon needs to make application? So he went back. Here are your forefathers. They resisted the spirit. They missed it. People rose up again. But here's what he said. He goes from them to his audience right in front of him. And here's what he said, Acts 7, 51 through 53. Here's what he said. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. No. Not a very good way to win friends and influence people. Right? He provided the evidence and then brought application home to them. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Look at this. As your... As who? As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced before in the coming of the righteous one. Who's the righteous one? Jesus whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels, did not keep it. What an application. <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to be funny or glib when I say this. This is just the truth. Stephen is saying, you boys... You're circumcised in your private parts, but not in your heart where it counts the most. Oh, they bore the physical mark of the covenant, but yeah, their private parts have been circumcised, but their hearts had not been cut clean. And he said, you guys are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You guys, you do what your daddy did and what his daddy did and back on down all the way to Abraham, you are just like them. Now, he told them the truth. And this was their moment to respond. They had two options. They could either own it, repent and be saved, or reject the message and perish. What do they do? Well, verse 54 says this. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Now, if they did that to me, I'd be like, you know, was it something I said? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I preached for, I guess, what, 15 years, uh, and I've been in front of all kinds of audiences. I've preached on ASU's campus, on college campuses. I've been uh, you know, taught in Europe. I've been all over, okay? 
And in all my years of preaching, I've seen all kind of facial responses. In most cases, people are smiling. Y'all smile, come on. In most cases, people smile at me most of the service. I've seen people smile. I've seen people at times kind of raise an eyebrow, like I say something that kind of challenged their theology. I've seen people get a little bewildered, confused, and maybe a little irritated. I've seen it on people's faces. Some people will get up and just walk out. It happens regularly. If I say something you don't agree with, they'll hit the road. Okay, well, okay, love you. <laughs> I do, I love you, but okay. How many of y'all know you can't please everybody? Jesus sure couldn't. If he couldn't, you sure can't. Anyway, I see people smile. I see people at times frown. I see people's faces, and I've seen people even fall asleep while I'm preaching. <laughs> Nobody in this, in this service has ever done that. No one has ever had that type of long night where you had to take a little nap in church. Oh, pastor, I'm sorry. I was just seeking the Lord in dreams and visions. You know? <laughs> Oh, I understand. Go back. Go back. Return to your rest. Go, go. But in all my years of preaching, I, I have never seen someone get this angry. Like, they got angry at Stephen. I've never seen it. Now, I'm not done with my message. The day is still young. But they ground their teeth at him. Now, this is the moment for most... You know, some modern-day popular preachers to kind of change, let me change the direction here. <laughs> let, let, me, let me be a little more gracious. He was not there to win friends and influence people. He was there, hopefully, to win some people to Jesus. And how many of y'all know the way you do that is by telling people the truth? Yeah. So here's how they responded. They were visibly enraged. They ground their teeth. Instead of falling to the ground in repentance, they stood their ground in pride and resisted every word he spoke. Wow. This was their moment. The Bible says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the, to the humble. They missed their moment. They missed the grace of God. Of God. Now we can look down on them and say, what a bunch of crummy religious people. <laughs> Why didn't they respond? They had all the truth right there in front of them. I mean, what other evidence could they have possibly needed? I mean, we, we can. We can, look, we can look down on them. We can fault them, but how many of y'all know? In our own ways, in our own times, we can be just as stubborn and stiff-necked as them. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when someone confronts you about your sin or corrects you about something that's off in your life? Because how you respond says a lot about who you are and the state of mind that you're in. Now, no one likes to be corrected. Is there anyone here you just love? You get up in the morning, you just can't wait for a correction to come your way. Like, come on, baby! You know, give them to me. No, you don't. 
Some of you have learned to receive it over time, but just recently, uh, we were in Texarkana. Uh, my mother-in-law had surgery. We were there, whole family. Um, seven of us, if you include the dog, all jammed into my, my in-law's home. Uh, we, we drove a, you know, the expedition up there, and, and I left my wallet in, 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 in the expedition. And uh, Kelly got in and drove to go get some coffee. She came back. She said, she said baby, you can't leave your wallet in the vehicle. It's going to get stolen. And I said, listen, woman. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> you know my wife. I definitely did not say that. <laughs> no, no, no. I have been a cast right now. Lord, y'all could come pray for me. I said, I said no, 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 baby, no, no, you're, you're overthinking it. The Lord has given his angels charge concerning us. I didn't say that. But, but, but I'm like, no, I'm, it's fine. No one's going to steal my wallet. She told me not, not just once, but twice about this warning to not leave my wallet in the vehicle. I said, well, nobody is going to. I said, baby, listen, I lock it. I don't do it every night. I do it every now and then, which wasn't true. I leave it there almost all the time. Anyway, it's, I said, it's good. No one is going to steal my wallet. Well, we came back home, and about seven days later, somebody stole my wallet. <laughs> and she said, you stiff-necked uns... No, she didn't say <laughs> If she heard this message before, she would have said that to me, you stiff-necked... But I was, I was prideful. Come on, man. It's what you do best. You got a PhD in it, don't you? By nature. Thanks, Adam. It's true. How many of y'all know pride is our number one pitfall? Pride is our number one pitfall. As C.S. Lewis says, it is the, the chief source of all the other vices and sins in our lives. He says, through pride, the devil became the devil. Through pride... Through pride, and because of pride, marriages are destroyed. Relationships are ruined. And churches are often brought to the ground relationally when that's not dealt with within. It can get in the leadership, and that becomes toxic for the people. If it's in the people, that can become toxic for one another. And the leadership, are y'all with me today? Pride is our number one pitfall. Because if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When pride dies, relationships live. But when pride lives, your relationships will die. A slow death. And some of you have marriages on life support today because of your stubbornness and because of your pride. Some of you have relationships at work, maybe with people in the church. They're on life support, possibly because of your pride. My name is Pastor Scott, and I am your friend. Pride destroys. Pride 
kills. Pride brings people to the ground. If you don't believe me, just ask Stephen. We're almost done. Acts 7, 55 through 60. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. I told you he's full of, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he, and he said, he said this, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, reminiscent of Daniel, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh, blasphemy! Look at verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him in their, I would add, pride. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Oh, we're going to talk about him in weeks to come. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which of course means he died. In their pride, in their resistance, they stoned the very one who was sent to help them. And I want you to picture the stoning. This was probably a mob, a mob stoning. Jews couldn't legally stone people under Roman authority without that being sanctioned. This was probably a mob stoning him, throwing stones at his head, at his chest. I mean, what an awful way to go. But as as he was being stoned, the Bible says this, that, 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 that Stephen said, just, just like Jesus, basically, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. You remember, as Jesus was dying, what did he say from the cross? What did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. How many of y'all know that's true love? You're being killed, nailed to a cross, stoned with stones. And this was Stephen's last statement. Lord, do not hold this against them. As he died, his opponents saw a radiant reflection of the love of God in Stephen. Because you see humble people like Stephen who look to Jesus, often look like Jesus, both in life and, in this case, death. Stephen was a man of God. He lived like a man of God, and he died like a man of God. But in this passage, as we land the plane, Luke provides a profile of the proud. And I don't have a big runway to take off, I want these, these points I'm about to give you to be used. And I don't want you thinking about anybody else. I want you to think about you. Because here, here in this episode, first of all, the Bible says that in their pride, they, they cried out in a loud voice. How many of y'all know proud people are usually loud people who talk over others and will not let them get another word in. 
Loud people, always talking, won't let anybody else talk. This can be in your marriage, this can be at your workplace, that you, if this is you, if, it, if it's you, you're so proud and so, so sure of yourself that you, you, won't, you won't let anybody speak and you, you use your voice to dominate and to domineer and you, you won't let anyone else talk. They cried out with a loud voice. Number two, they stiffened their necks and stopped their ears. Listen carefully. One of the clearest signs of pride is the inability to listen and learn from someone else. Proud people have all the answers. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to grow? Are you willing to listen to someone who can teach you, yes, even the errors of your way? Do you have someone in your life who will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear? Pride will resist getting someone like that in your life with all of its sinful force. Y'all still like me? Number three, or maybe you never did. Maybe I, <laughs> there's some pride right there. Listen, listen, number three, I'm almost done. They cast Stephen out of the city. And this is just the progression of the text. They cried out, they stiffened their necks. They cast him out of the city because proud people don't want to be challenged or held accountable. Proud, watch this, proud people don't want anyone in their lives telling them no. You don't really know someone until you know someone. You don't K-N-O-W someone until you N-O someone. Oh, you think your relationships are strong. You, you think they're good. Wait till you say no or resist someone. Watch for the response. That will be a clear picture of what you're really dealing with. That was good right there. You need to write that down. Kind of like in driver's ed. Got the guy, the gal on the passenger side. And what does that instructor have in the foreboard? A what? A break. Whoever thought of that is a genius. Because if that driver starts going too fast or going in the wrong direction, what can the instructor do? How many of y'all know we all need people in our lives who can put the brake on us? People that we said in advance, not in the moment, of course, but in advance, I'm inviting you as a man of God or women, you say to a woman, as a woman of God, I'm inviting you into my life so that at any point, if you see me get off, and it's based on the Word of God, if I'm off, I'm giving you permission to tell me, stop, no, I don't do that. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Someone who can tell you, no. They cast him out of the city. One of the clear signs of pride is that you don't have anyone close to you telling you, what you need to hear. And then the progression is you isolate yourself in your pride. 
but eventually you'll find other prideful people just like you. Isn't it true? And you form a cluster, and the very people who are put into your life to love you and to help you then become public enemy number one. They cried out with a loud voice, stiffened their necks, stopped their ears, cast Stephen out of the city, and then finally, they stoned Stephen to death. What a tragedy. Proud people are always looking for someone to attack. On Facebook, at work, always ready to correct and fix everything that they think is wrong. And listen to me, there's a time to correct, of course. There's a time to confront, I do it for a living. But pride can turn into nitpicking in a marriage and you can nitpick your spouse to death. We are called to confront and to correct but how we do it says a lot about who we are. Because you cannot have a handful of stones and a heart full of love at the same time. Stephen's opponents, we're not hearing it. And they put this angel-like messenger to death concluding questions. Measure yourself against these questions. Answer these questions just for you. Just for you. Is someone taking a beating because of your pride? Stephen took one. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe your children. Maybe your spouse. Is someone taking a beating at work because of your stubbornness? Just a question. Second question, have you cast someone aside because of your pride? Someone who was sent by God into your life to help you, but because you have all the answers. I don't need that man. I don't need to go to men's studies. I don't need discipleship. I'm good. Listen, if you think you're good because you come to church on Sunday, I hope my word is good on Sunday, but my word is not good enough for you, men. You need to be with men throughout the week who can speak the word of God into your week to help you overcome your pride and the sin that wages war against your soul. Last question. Have you stiffened your neck to God and resisted His Holy Spirit? I'm talking about that area of your life that the Holy Spirit has been putting His immaterial finger on, pointing out. And when He does, He, he makes it so clear what it is. But instead of humbling yourselves, repenting and turning, you stiffen your neck and resist him. 
Holy Spirit. We are a proud people. We are. We are proud. Each in our own ways, we are proud. And we confess our sins to you today, God. We confess our stubbornness. We confess being stiff-necked. We confessed at times having uncircumcised hearts that resist you, Holy Spirit. every prideful, grievous way in us. Forgive us, oh God. Right now with your hands up, just let the Lord minister to you. Holy Spirit is putting his finger, husbands, men, on some areas in your lives. Some stubbornness, calloused, hard places, sinful, dark, places. Right now, don't resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Lord, I pray that you would free us today. Free us. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to speak like you and serve like you and in attitude, in action. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you, thank you. Just keep your hands up for just a minute. Let the Lord search you. He's breaking pride right now. You're in his presence right now. He's breaking pride off your life right now. For the humble and the willing, for those who see, who see, and respond to him, his voice right now, right now. He is breaking it off you. As you yield to him, as you repent and turn to him, right now, as you open up those areas of your lives, as you get off the throne, I just see right now the Lord Jesus. He's sitting down on the throne of your life right now taking full control, not just of an area, but every area in your marriage, in your relationships, not compartmentalized, but comprehensively. Holy Spirit, take over. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve but you remove them as far as the east is from the west. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, some of you perhaps came in today, you've been doing this, you've been doing life on your own. 
which means you've been living in pride apart from God. Maybe you grew up attending church. Maybe you believe in God. Maybe in your, your view, you're a good person. But the Bible tells us that good is not good enough. The only way that you can be saved, the only way that you can be delivered, the only way that you can spend eternity with God, with Christ in heaven, is to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which takes humility. It takes you saying, I'm not as good as I thought I was. It takes you surrendering. Not just saying a prayer as magic, but it takes you surrendering with all your heart, with everything in you, saying, Lord Jesus, I am lost without you. I am lost. I'm on the way to hell. Just like the devil, his, his future is there. He fell because of pride. I don't want to be like him. Cast out of your presence. I want to be with you forever. If that's you, you're here today. You say, I want to begin a relationship with God. I want to humble myself. I want to crucify my flesh. I want to repent of my sins. I want to turn to Jesus. And I want eternal life. If that's you right now, if that's you right now, this moment, this moment, everything leading up to this moment is for you. Just like Stephen's opponents had a crisis moment to make a decision, this is yours. If you're here, you say, Pastor Scott, I want to begin a relationship with God. I want my sins forgiven. I want to humble myself because I want God and I want to be with Him forever. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand right now. Say, that's me, Pastor Scott. I, I want Him. I'm humbling myself. I want Him. I want Him. If that's you, slip your hand up right now. I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you for responding to the Holy Spirit. Thank you. If you've raised your hand, to begin a relationship with Jesus. Thank you for responding to his voice. I'm going to give you a prayer right now to pray. The prayer is not magic. This is just a confession. The Bible talks about confession. It talks about confessing Jesus. If you had your hand lifted just, just, just a minute ago, I want you to say this prayer with me. This is your personal confession, and we're going to say it with you as a church family. And as you do, as you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus, you're going from death to life. Come on, Midtown, let's say this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. And you died for me. Say this with me. And I believe that you faced hell for me. You faced the grave for me. You faced my punishment for me. So I would not have to pay it. Say this with me. I believe you rose from death to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Say this if you believe it today, Lord Jesus. I turn from my sin and I dedicate my life to you. And I'm committed to following you no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said...